Welcome to the Weekend Pulpit of Everyday Truth. We are currently in a series of messages studying the life of Elijah and considering the ups and downs of serving God. Hope you enjoy. God bless. 1 Kings chapter 19, and I want you to notice a few verses that we we already covered a couple weeks ago, but just because I want to uh, get our minds back in the passage, I want us to look at verse number four. So 1 Kings chapter number 19 and verse number four, where the Bible says, but he himself, Elijah, went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat under a juniper tree. And he requested for himself that he might die. And he said, it's enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I'm not better than my father's. And as he lay and slept under a juniper tree, behold, then an angel touched him and said unto him, arise and eat. And he looked and behold, there was a cake bacon on the coals and a cruise of water at his head. And he did eat and drink and laid him down again. Verse number seven, and the angel of the Lord came again the second time. And touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for thee. And he arose and did eat and drink, and went in the strength of that meat forty days and forty nights unto Horeb. We also call that in the Bible Mount Sinai, the Mount of God. And he came thither unto a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said unto him, What doest thou here, Elijah? What are you doing here? What are you doing here? Verse number 10. And he said, I've been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altar, slain thy prophets with the sword, and I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord, and behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind rent the mountains and break it in pieces, the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still small voice. And it was so when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entering in of the cave. And behold, there came a voice unto him and said, what doest thou here, Elijah? Same question. Same question, verse 13. Same answer, verse number 14. And he said, I've been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altar, slain thy prophets with the sword, and I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said unto him, Go, return on thy way to the wilderness of Damascus. Lord, I, I pray that you would bless the reading of your word. We acknowledge this morning that we need the word of God. We acknowledge that your word is, in essence, the truth that is infallible and unchangeable and absolute. And I pray that you would, by your Holy Spirit, find a way to apply that truth uh, to our lives, how desperately we need your perspective. Lord, you've chosen to record this story in your word for us. And so I pray that we would not miss its teaching. I pray that you would help us, teach us, inspire us, strengthen us. 
I pray for each person who is listening to this message that you would do a work of grace in every heart. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. I, um, years ago, began to just travel a little bit with uh, different preaching invitations. And, and uh, I lived in Pittsburgh at the time. And I would travel on American Airlines, which is kind of like the horse and buggy version of the airline industry. I mean, it's just really, really uh, bad. But uh, American Airlines had a hub, uh, hub or focal city in Pittsburgh, and that was kind of the main airline. So that was the airline I flew. And uh, you know, every year I'd fly a little bit more, a little bit more. And I began to pay attention to, oh, if you fly more, then they treat you better. That's just the way it is. So all of a sudden, you have to sit back in this, you know, 17-inch seat like this in a yoga position. Uh, but, you know, they'll actually give you a better seat. They'll actually give you an extra, you know, little bowl of peanuts. Uh, they'll give you free water. I mean, think about how good the airline industry is. So, uh, so I, I realized that if you, could, if you could fly a certain number of miles, then they would give you a better deal. I thought, well, that's really good. So one particular year, this must have been 15, 20 years ago, I was just looking at my, my report, you know, it was December, and I noticed that I was like 5,000 miles short. I thought, well, I'm not flying anywhere else this year. I'm 5,000 miles, but if I could get they just somehow could have, could have flown these 5,000 miles, my life would be so much better if I had just flown these 5,000 miles. And then I got to thinking, well, I wonder if I could fly 5,000 miles, find an excuse. So I'm looking at Hawaiian vacations. I'm looking at, you know, nothing's working out. Well, I studied this thing, and I found out that there's something called a mileage run. I had never heard of that before in my life, a mileage run, that people actually will fly just to get those miles because the benefit of getting those miles is, is worth whatever you spent on that ticket. So I studied it and studied it, and I didn't have two pennies to rub together. I thought, how am I going to do this? Well, then I found out that if you fly this certain route, they'll give you bonus miles. And if you fly this certain day, they'll give you bonus miles. And if you go to this certain airport, they'll give you bonus miles. And I thought, well, would there be a way that I could take that route and that destination and that set of criteria, put it all together in one trip and get 5,000 miles for flying way less than 5,000 miles. Uh, are, you, are you following this? Okay. Um, so I did. So I got up one day, went, drove down to Pittsburgh Airport, brought my laptop, and I flew from Pittsburgh to Washington, D.C., to New York, to Boston, to Plattsburgh, New York, back to Boston, to LaGuardia, to Pittsburgh, all in one day. You say, why did you do that? Because I am stupid. That's why I did that. <laughs> and here's the thing. I, I, I was able to satisfy all the requirements. I paid like $120 for the ticket. I mean, it was unbelievable. What was funny was I couldn't actually book the ticket because when I tried to book the ticket, the agent said, no, you don't have enough turnaround time in Plattsburgh, New York. I said, well, how many gates are there in Plattsburgh, New York? She said, one. I said, so that means that the flight I'm flying in on is the flight that I'm leaving on. She said, yes. I said, that, uh, then I'll be fine. So she, I had to actually book two one-ways, get the ticket. I'm thinking, I am so smart. 
I've learned so much. So I'm on this little puddle jumper plane from Boston to Plattsburgh, to Plattsburgh New York. I mean, there's, there's like 30 people on this plane. And I'm sitting there, I'm talking to the guy next to me. I said, you'll never guess how smart I am. I didn't say it that way, but it's, it's what I meant. And he said, why? I, I told him what I did. I said, I'm going, on this, I'm going to Plattsburgh for one reason, to get off the plane, to get back on the plane and fly back. He said, me too. <laughs> and the people in front of us heard us and they said, us too. And the people behind us heard us said, us too. Half that plane had figured it out. He <laughs> said, Pastor Skelly, what does this have to do with the message? Nothing. I just want you to know how savvy of a traveler I am. No, what, 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 what I want to say is this. That trip really seemed to have no benefit at all. In one day, I was going someplace and coming back and really not really staying anywhere. That's exactly what's happening in Elijah's life. You know, Elijah was in, and I want you to picture this. Elijah was in Mount Carmel. In one day, he ran down to a place called Jezreel. Immediately, he ran down to a place called Beersheba. After one night of sleeping and getting some food, he ran all the way down to a place called Mount Sinai. And there Mount Sinai, took him 40 days to get there. He had one conversation with God, and he went all the way back up to Damascus. and came all the way down to Israel. It looks like Elijah was making a mileage run. And yet what happened? God did some incredible, incredibly beneficial things for, for Elijah on that journey. Sometimes what God teaches us is actually on the journey and not at some particular destination. And I want, I want to show you that today in 1 Kings chapter, ch- chapter number 19. I've entitled my message, What Are You Doing Here? And I want you to ask that question to yourself here in a moment. What are you doing here? Look, look again, if you would, at verse number 5 where the Bible says he lay uh, and slept under a juniper tree, and behold then, an angel touched him and said unto him, Arise and eat. Did it ever occur to you that when God came to Elijah and fed him, that God was really doing two things? Think First of all, God was helping Elijah in his fatigue, arise and sleep. Uh, I, uh, and most of you know this, so I'll just share it, but... A couple weeks ago, I, I went to the emergency room. First time I've ever done that in my life. Um, I thought I was having a heart attack. I, I, thought, I honestly thought I was, I, my heart was racing. Uh, my, I had chills. I was having waves of dizziness. My left arm was totally numb. I mean, I thought I'm having a heart attack. And I spent eight days, or eight days. <laughs> uh, see how stories grow? Eight hours, how's that? <laughs> I spent eight hours in the emergency room and they did the tests, you know, they did the blood tests and the blood clot tests and the, the uh, uh, chest x-rays and, and the uh, EKG and all of that. And, and I came back, came, back to, uh, came back normal. I couldn't figure it out. What's going on? Then they scheduled an echocardiogram. So I went in for that, which is basically, ladies, it's like, it's like me getting like a, see, is it a boy or a girl? It's an ultrasound. That's what it was. So my wife actually was very glad that I got an echocardiogram. She didn't think I had a heart. I do have a heart. Uh, and my heart is healthy. I, I just, my heart is healthy. So I said, the, I said to the doctor, I said to two of the doctors, I said, what is going on in my life? And they said, they said, Mr. Skelly, you are suffering from severe fatigue. 
and your body is, has shut down. That's what's happening. You're suffering. So you just need to, for a couple weeks, just sleep until you get up. Sleep until you get up. That was, that was, that was my, I, you know, that's, you pay thousands of dollars to get that. Go to sleep, okay? So I did. So for the first time this year, I, I slept until I got up. Now, typically on a, on a night, I'll sleep five or six hours and set my alarm and go. And I always feel like I'm good. You know, five or six hours sleep and 10 cups of coffee work every single day of my life. Okay? But I did that first week. I slept. You know what I slept? I slept an average of 13 hours a night. That was the week of missions conference. Like, what, what in the world? Like, until I woke up. Like, I, was, I just didn't set the alarm, and I didn't wake up. So something was happening with my body. Sometimes what we need in our life is just sleep. Sometimes what we need in our life, I'm learning that. Sometimes what we need in our life is just these, these physical, and I think when God sent a messenger to Elijah, he said, Elijah, arise and eat and go back to sleep. He was responding to Elijah's fatigue. But the second time that God came to Elijah, he did something different. And watch what it says in verse number six. And he looked, and behold, there was a cake, bacon, and coals, and a cruise of water at his head. He did eat and drink. He laid him down. That was the first time. Verse seven. And the angel of the Lord came unto him the second time. I love this. And touched him and said, arise and eat. Watch this, because the journey is too great for thee. I don't want you to miss that. So the first time, God was responding to the fatigue that Elijah had. Elijah, you just need to get to ground zero here. But the second time, God gave him sustenance. He said, now, Elijah, I'm giving you something so that you can go 40 days and 40 nights. I'm going to miraculously provide your needs because I have someplace I want you to go. And what you're going to find in 1 Kings chapter 19 is that God actually moves Elijah three times. We're going to end the message with that thought. God moves Elijah three times. Go to Mount Sinai. Go to the top of the mountain. Go home. Three times God moves him. And three times Elijah obeys the Lord. Why am I telling you all that? I'm telling you all that because I want you to see that when Elijah gets to Mount Sinai, God has sent him there. God has sent him there. This is not Elijah's idea. Elijah's idea was, I'm going to go as far as my physical frame will allow me to go. I'm going to go to Beersheba. I'm going to leave my servant in, the, in Beersheba. I'm going to go in the wilderness, and I'm going to die. Remember? God, it's enough. Just take my life. I'm done. I quit. This is not fair. Nothing. My expectations were not met. So it was not Elijah's idea to go to Mount Sinai. It was God's idea for Elijah to go to Mount Sinai. And, and the point that I want to make is this. When, when Elijah gets to Mount Sinai and God says, what are you doing here? It's not, it's not God rebuking Elijah. It's not God saying, you know, what are you doing here? Why did you come here, Elijah? And why did you run to this place, Elijah? This was not Elijah. This was the Lord that brought Elijah here. And so when God asked the question, what are you doing here? The question was, and by the way, God never asks us questions that he doesn't know the answer to, right? God knows the answer, but Elijah does not know the answer. 
And so God is asking the question because what, essentially what God is saying is, Elijah, why do you think I brought you to this place? Well, okay, Elijah, so let me ask you a question. You, why are you here? Why are you here? Why are you in this cave? Why this mountain? What, what was it that God was teaching, not just through words, not just in events, but through a place in time, what was God teaching Elijah? All right, so three main thoughts in the message, and I'll make it quick. But first of all, I want us to see uh, Elijah's uh, attitude. Elijah's attitude. And I'm going to jump a little bit here, but look at verse number 10. Elijah's attitude, because you're going to see it reiterated in the passage. Verse number 10, he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts. And sometimes we, we look at Elijah's response to God. This is, by the way, this is his first answer. What are you doing here? You know, he doesn't really even answer the question. He doesn't really directly answer the question. But, but he gives us three clues as to what he's thinking. Okay, and here they are. Number one, I've been very jealous for the Lord God. I've been very jealous. Now, sometimes we look at that and say, you know, Elijah's having a pity party. Elijah's full of pride. Elijah's being selfish. But the Bible never says that. Matter of fact, what I think here is Elijah is expressing a passion and a sincerity for God. You know, I have been very passionate for the name of God. I have been very jealous. It's, as a matter of fact, very jealous is a very intense term in the Bible. Yeah, I, I am passionate about God, and, and I've seen Baal, and I've seen uh, these false worshipers, and I've seen these altars that are cast down, and I've seen people that don't care, and, and I just, somebody's got to care for God. Someone's got to, I'm passionate about God's reputation and his glory. I want God to be big. I, I want God to be worshipped. I, I want God, is that a bad thing? No, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. So Elijah's saying, I've been very jealous for God. And then he, he gives us a second reason why he's there, a second element of his attitude when he says, and that the children of Israel, see that, have forsaken thy covenant and thrown down thine altars. And so I, I, I've been very jealous for God. That's my passion. Hey, here's my problem. No one else is. That's my problem. My problem is, Lord, you deserve the honor. You deserve the glory. You deserve the praise. You are God. You deserve for us to get on our uh, hands and, and knees and worship before you. You deserve our, our everything about us. But Lord, they, they're doing the exact opposite. They've thrown down your altars, the place of worship, uh, the place of connection, uh, the, the place of, the, the, the place of, 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 of admission, of, of sin and of guilt. They've thrown it down. Uh, they, they, they have totally dismantled the entire system by which you receive praise and glory. I, I'm passionate. And God, I've got a problem. My problem is I look around me and I see your name being taken in vain. I look around me and I see people that don't care about you. I look around you and I see people chasing uh, this and chasing that and serving this and serving that. And it's just not fair. You're God. You're God. I have a passion for you. I have a, I have a problem. Uh, all these people around me, I, I have pain. I'm, I'm the only one. I, even I. It's an emphasis. I, even I, even I. I'm it, I'm it. I'm the last one. And they're, they're, they're out to get me. I'm, I'm the only one. And they're out to get me. So you ask me, what am I doing here? I, I, don't, I, I don't know that 
Elijah even answered the question. I think Elijah was just so overcome by uh, what was what was haunting him and what was hurting him that he said, God, I'm just, I love you. This is not right. And it's not working. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt like, God, I love you. I have a passion for you. Elijah's been faithful. Elijah's been patient. Elijah has obeyed the word of God. Elijah has been used of God. Elijah has stood for God. Elijah has been in harm's way. God, I love you. But no one else seems to be caring much. God just doesn't seem to be working. Maybe you can identify a situation in your life right now. Say, God, I love you. And I want to I worship you. I want my life to count for you. But it just seems like the people around me that I care for, not the people way out there, not the people across the ocean there, but my people, my family, the people that I interact with, just doesn't seem like. The Lord just seems like it's not working. Sometimes we can say that about our marriage. We say that about our child rearing. We say that about our ministry. We say that about our lives. God, I love you. But it doesn't seem that anyone else around me is getting it. And Lord, it's just not working. Can you sense the frustration that Elijah has? Okay, number one, his attitude. N- number two, look at the arena. What, what, what arena did God choose to help Elijah to see some things that perhaps Elijah was not seeing? Because sometimes what God does in our life, listen carefully, sometimes what God does in our life is God has to show us something before he can tell us something. Sometimes God has to show you something before he tells you something. And often in the Bible, the arena of God's message is a part of the message itself. Remember Jeremiah? Jeremiah, I want you to go down to the potter's house and there I will cause thee to hear my word. I've always found that passage so striking. Elijah, or rather, Jeremiah, go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause thee to hear my word. Well, God's already speaking to Jeremiah. If God is saying to Jeremiah, go there, then God's speaking. So if God's speaking, then why didn't God just tell Jeremiah what he wanted to tell Jeremiah right there? Why do I have to go there to hear more? Because sometimes God has to show you something before he tells you something. Sometimes God puts you in a situation because that situation in itself is a hermeneutic that helps you understand God's word in a way that you would not have understood otherwise. And now I get it. I'm in this hospital bed. Now I get it. I've been betrayed. Now I get it. Whatever the situation may be, God sometimes puts you in an arena so that in that arena, you can understand things that you would not have understood outside of that arena. So God puts uh, Elijah in an arena. Look at verse number eight. And he arose and did eat and drink and went in the strength of that meat 40 days and 40 nights unto Horeb, the Mount of God. And he came thither unto a cave. It's interesting. Uh, uh, and in the Hebrew, there, there, there is an article here, which is a definite article. Is that the only article there is? It's the cave. He went to the cave. Now, could this be that when he went to Mount Horeb and went to a cave, the cave, that that was the cave? I, I like to think that. 
What, what cave are you talking about, Pastor? I'm talking about, talking about the cave in Exodus chapter 33 where Moses was hid in the cleft of the rock, a cave. So could this have been that God led Elijah to the very cave where Moses had seen God? The very cave where God passed by and Moses saw some things about God. And by the way, from that cave, God said, go up to the mount, Exodus 34. It seems as if what's happening in 1 Kings chapter 19 is that God is putting Elijah in Moses' place. It seems that what's happening in 1 Kings 19 is that God is reenacting the covenant, reenacting what he did for Moses to show Elijah that God's part of the covenant is still being fulfilled. So go to the cave. Verse number 9. So he came thither unto a cave, the cave, and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said unto him, What doest thou here, Elijah? So we talked about the attitude that Elijah had, but now we're talking about the arena that God used. And he brings him to Mount Sinai. So let me, let me talk a little bit about that. First of all, uh, he, he, what, what doest thou here? What is here? Okay, Here is the place of, of the Sinai covenant. So God brought Elijah to the place of the Sinai covenant or the old covenant or the Mosaic covenant. We call it by different names. Okay, what was the Mosaic covenant? What was that? The Mosaic covenant was a, a bilateral covenant that God made he and his people, not, not unilateral like, like the Abrahamic covenant, which is just an unconditional promise. Uh, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless your seed. I'm going to bless. That's God. That's my promise. I swear by myself. God said, that's a unilateral covenant. But bilateral covenant means that both parties have, there's a condition. Both parties have entered in. So God said, I'm entering into this covenant. Here's my word. And if you follow my word, you'll be blessed. If you don't follow my word, you'll be cursed. There are the blessings and the cursings. We talk, sometimes I talk about that in Deuteronomy chapter 28, the blessings and the cursings, uh, or the law of God. And so what, what is the Mosaic covenant? It was the covenant by which God demonstrated his character to his people. This is who I am. I'm going to show you in word form what my character is and how my character is to be represented. And you are to obey me. Now, within that Mosaic Covenant system, he also had a sacrificial system. Why? Because God knew that giving the law was not going to make people holy, but giving the law was going to show people that they weren't holy. Why? Because the law was added because of transgressions till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. So the Sinai Covenant was a covenant by which God was saying, listen, I am, you are my people, I am your God, but I have expectations for you. And those expectations are not going to entirely be met. Uh, but I am promising that you're going to be a kingdom of priests unto me. So you need both my law and you need my mercy. You need my law. Here it is. The, the Ten Commandments, the Decalogue. And you need my mercy. Here's the sacrificial system by which you can be made right with me, a covering for sin year by year, the Mosaic Covenant. And so what was God doing? God was being, bringing Elijah back to the Sinai covenant and say, hey, uh, uh, Elijah, are you so upset because of what you've seen in Israel? Because you've seen people disobeying me? Because you've seen people throw down altars? 
Listen, I, I told you that they're my people. I told you that, uh, that the Mosaic Covenant did not abrogate the Abrahamic Covenant. They're still my people, but the fact that they're suffering is just a, a, a part of my covenant. They have disobeyed me and bad things are happening. They've chosen their bed. They're sleeping in it. So Elijah, don't be surprised when people do sinful things. Don't be surprised when people that you put your confidence in or people that you think ought to to have done better do stupid things because we all do that sometimes as part of what I predicted at the covenant. And so he brings back Elijah to the covenant. Can I just say this? When Moses was in that cave, Moses had just been disappointed by God's people. When Moses was in that cave, Moses just had a whole group of people that that had made a golden calf and had worshiped it. And Moses said, uh, and God said, I'm done with them. I'm through with them. I'll just make a new nation out of you, Moses. Moses said, don't do that, Lord. Don't do that, Lord. Uh, they're, they're gonna, they're, they're, your reputation will suffer. And oh, God, he pleaded for them. So what was God doing for Elijah? He was bringing Elijah to that exact same space where Moses said, I feel like I'm all alone, and I feel like I'm the only one, and I feel like the people that you love and the people with whom you've made the covenant are are worshiping idols, and what's not right? What is God doing? God is showing Elijah. He's reenacting what happened with Moses. It's the place of the Sinai covenant. But not only was it the place of the Sinai covenant, I think, secondly, that here, what are you doing here? Here, the place of the Sinai Covenant. Here, the place of the second chance. That's what that place was. That cave. That was where God communicated with Moses. That mountain. That's where God said to Moses, okay, Moses, I'm not going to kill him. Okay, Moses, I've got a plan for them. And I'm a God that's gracious and slow to anger and merciful. It's what Jonah said. Jonah, that's why I didn't want to go to Nineveh. I didn't want to go to Nineveh because I knew that you're the God of the second chance. I knew that when people are really, really far from you, you're still willing to extend mercy and forgiveness and grace. I just knew that about you. What is God reminding Elijah? He's reminding Elijah, listen, we've been here before. People have turned their back on me before. My people have been the lowest of the low before, but I'm a God that's merciful, and I'm a God that's gracious. I'm not going to, I'm not going to, listen, I'm not going to justify evil. So don't, don't read this wrongly, Elijah, but I am the God of the second chance. That's important, because sometimes when, if we're not careful, when we're passionate for God, and we see that other people around us don't share that passion, Things just don't seem to be working for us. Sometimes we forget that. Sometimes God has to knock on our heart's door and say, well, listen, listen to me. I still have a plan. And I can, I can be gracious. And you can be patient. And I'm at work. And that's what's happening. What are you doing here? Why do you think you're here, Elijah? Why do you think you're here? It was the place of the Sinai Covenant. It was the place of the second chance. It was also the promise of a second covenant. That's what Paul taught us. Do you know that the first covenant was actually a promise of the second covenant? Say, what do you mean by that? Well, uh, Paul told us in Galatians 3 that, that the Abrahamic covenant was the covenant of promise. That's when God came to Abraham and said, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. 
I'm going to bless uh, your people. I'm going to bless your seed. And he said, when he said seed, he, I'm going to bless all the world through your seed. And when he said seed, he didn't mean all the people. He meant one particular person, Messiah. In other words, the way by which the entire world can be blessed is through the seed of Abraham, who is Jesus Christ. That's the point that, that, uh, a, uh, that Paul makes. And when Paul makes that point in Galatians 3, he said, and then the law, which was 430 years after God made that promise to Abraham, the law came, and the law did not abrogate that promise. No, what the law did is the law was like a big magnifying glass to show everybody, hey, you're more sinful than you think you are. And here's my character inscripturated in the law, and you're going to see that you're not nearly as good as you think you are. You need me. You need to, by faith, to trust me and to get forgiveness from me and look forward to that seed that will come. What's the point? The point is that the Sinai covenant was a big arrow to the second covenant. The fact that there would come the ultimate sacrificial system, Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, that would take away the sin of the world. There would come the ultimate fulfillment of the law. Jesus Christ, who came not to, uh, to, came not to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. He did all the things you couldn't do. He kept all the laws you couldn't keep. He satisfied all the righteous demands of God that you couldn't satisfy. And when you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, who died upon the cross in your place as your substitute, you, you receive the gift of righteousness of Jesus Christ. Christ by faith. It's always been salvation by grace through faith. So what was God telling Elijah? God was telling Elijah, listen, you ought to be learning something here, Elijah. I've not given up on my people. I've got a plan. I give second chances. And the most important thing we need is grace that comes ultimately through the seed of Abraham, through Jesus Christ. Boy, this is a healing time for Elijah. We see his attitude, we see the arena, but then notice his action. Look, please, if you would, at verse number, verse number seven, where the Bible says, then the angel of the Lord came again the second time and touched him and said, arise and eat, because the journey is too great for thee. So there, the go is implied. Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for thee. I want you to go to Sinai. That's the implication. I want you to go to Sinai. That's go number one. Okay? Now, look at verse number, uh, verse number um, 11. So Elijah gives this answer in verse 10. It's the wrong answer. And he said, God did, go forth. There's the second go. So go to Sinai. That's the first. Go to the covenant place. That's the first go. Verse 11. And he said, go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. That's the second go. Go to a place where you can see me more clearly. Go and stand on the mount before the Lord. And that's where God said, I'm going to pass by. I'm going to show you some things that you need to see about me. And so go to the covenant place, but then go to the God of that place. Go to the covenant place, but then go to the God of that place. It's not just going to a place that helps us, but it's going to a place and seeing God there. It's going to a place and focusing upon him there. That's the point. So go to the covenant place, but then go see God there. That's the second go. And then notice verse number 13. And so it was, when Elijah heard it, he heard the still small voice, he wrapped his face in the mantle, went out, stood in the entering end of the cave. So he never actually did go up to the top of the mountain. He just hid in that cave. He came out to the, uh, the, the 
entrance to that cave after all the hubbub was over. And behold, there came a voice unto him and said, what doest thou here, Elijah? Because God will keep on asking you the same questions until you understand. So do you love me? He's going to ask you again. Do you love me? He's going to ask you again. Do you love, until you get it, he's going to ask you. What are you doing here? Well, I, I just, I, I mean, I, I'm the only one. I've been passionate. These people are, I mean, God, I love you. I want, no one else seems to love you. and just doesn't seem to be working out. What are you doing here? Interestingly, Elijah gives the same answer. I've been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts. Verse 14, the children of Israel have forsaken that covenant. They've thrown down their altars. They've slain their prophets with the sword. I, even I only am left. They seek my life to take it away. Now God says, verse 15, the Lord said to him, go, return. Now go home now. I've got stuff for you to do. So there's a go there. He's on a big mileage run. Go there. Go here, go back. Go there, go here. Go here means see me and go home. I'll give you a good three-point outline for your problem today. Go there. Where's there? The covenant place. You know what God wants? You you know what presses the reset button for every problem you have in your life? The covenant place. What, What you need to do is go back in your mind's eye to where you were when you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior. Go back to that place where you didn't deserve. You, you shook your fist at a holy God. Your sin held you responsible for the death of Jesus Christ. You were living in your own will and your own way. But you came to a place of repentance and faith and realized that Jesus Christ is the way and the only way and the truth and the life. And you accepted the covenant that God offered and extended to you. Go back to the covenant place. See God there. Go back to your covenant place and see God there. Don't just see the experience. Don't just see the Sunday school classroom. Don't just see the altar. Don't just see the living room table, the living room coffee table or the kitchen table where you got saved, but go back and meet God there. And live in the reality of his presence again. And God said, Elijah, I, I, I don't always work in big and demonstrable ways. God, I, I don't always work in, through earthquakes. Can you imagine being in a cave and it's all shaking and stalactites are falling around you. Can you imagine being in a cave and the wind is so strong, it's moving the rocks? That's what the Bible says. Can you imagine being in that, and the, the whole mountain seems to be on fire. Maybe it's lightning. All of that happened in the first covenant. All of that happened. All of that happened. There was shaking and burning and wind. Hebrews chapter 12. And, and God said, but the second covenant's not like that. It's not like that. It's a still small voice. It's a short sentence. It is finished. It's the Holy Spirit of God ministering to you on the inside. And Elijah says, God, I, I, God says, Elijah, I don't always work this way. My, my normative way of working in your life is to affirm to you through my word that I am God. 
And I have a purpose for your life. So what do you do today? Go back to the covenant place. Go back in your mind's eye to the fact that you were passed from death into life. God saved you. Go back to the God of that place. God, you saved me. God, you love me. I'm a more than a conqueror through you. God, you have a plan for my life. All things work together for good. God, there's purpose in my pain. Oh, God, you saved me. You gave me Jesus. And with him, you gave me every good thing. Go back to the covenant. Go back to the God of the covenant. And then go back to work. Go back to the covenant. Go back to the God of the covenant. Then get back to work. Because God has you in your family for a reason. God has you in this church for a reason. God has you at the workplace for a reason. God has you on that ball team for a reason. God has you in this neighborhood for a reason. God has you. I know sometimes you're feeling like, God, I love you, but the people around me, I just don't know. It's not working out. God says, listen, I saved you. Rediscover me. Get back to work. I've got things for you to do, places for you to go. There's value in this mileage run. And there's value in your mileage run too. Because God is teaching you things about you and more importantly, about Him.